Let us pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Peace to you all. Our text comes from Luke chapter 24. Returning again to this text from Luke that we've been considering the last few weeks, this is verses 36 through 42. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they had saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. This is God's word. Do you have doubts? I think we all do. We all have doubts. We all have troubles arise in our hearts. And Jesus asked the question, why? Why do we doubt? Why are we troubled? And in our sermon today, why and how is the risen bodily presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, the answer to those doubts. Here is Jesus right in front of his disciples, triumphing over sin and death and the devil and speaking to them words of peace. And yet in their heart is trouble. They're startled. They're frightened. They, in fact, think he's a ghost or spirit. So you see this battle in their hearts between peace and doubt, between the risen presence of the Lord Jesus Christ speaking peace and the doubts and troubles that our human hearts are afflicted with. There's a war going on, and in the end, the Lord wants to give you peace. Now, today is Mother's Day, and we're thinking a little bit about the blessings of family the blessings of being children with a mother, the blessings of mothers with children. But we should never forget also the mothers who have lost children and what that's like. And in fact, we're going to talk in our sermon today about abortion. And we should never forget the mothers who have lost children through abortion and what that might do to them. And so if there's anyone out here who has lost a child, or who has actually gone through an abortion, you should know that this is actually for comfort. This is for the glory of the Lord and for the comfort of your heart if you've gone through something like this. Even though we're talking about tough things, I wanted to start with that because the point of all of this in the end is why physical bodies matter to the Lord. Why each and every body Yours included. From conception to death is precious to him. And he wants us to never forget that. 
But if you've been following the news this last week, you know there's arguments on the other side of this conversation. Justice Samuel Alito drafted a majority opinion for the Supreme Court case dealing with a law in Mississippi that's being challenged and in fact has led to addressing 50 years of precedence set by Roe versus Wade. His draft was leaked to Politico news outlet and soon became public swirling around, causing much heart trouble in the hearts of some. For Christians, this was a joy-filled occasion with news, but there was also a somber realization when he, Judge Alito began to articulate the unconstitutionality of Roe. He started laying out the ill-reasoned decision and the contradictions that have been within that law for so long about viability and when life can be viable outside of the womb. And there's a sobering realization of the countless deaths of unborn children for the past 50 years. Now, the Bible and Christian faith are clear on the subject that God places an extreme amount of his value on life in the womb from conception, that life is a miracle and that children belong to the Lord. However, it's not on the basis of scripture that the justice is arguing. In fact, he's arguing on the basis of natural reasoning, that science and medicine and natural reasoning actually show the truth cannot be hidden. Why else would there be two sides to this subject? Why else would those who are against the writing of Judge Alito want to subvert the conversation and turn it away from looking actually at what's in the womb? Instead of abortion, they call it a woman's right. And instead of a baby, they call it a fetus. And instead of a heartbeat, they call it an electrical impulse. There are other things I could outline, but I don't want to go into that in my sermon today. But what's happening is a change in the language of what we're dealing with. And when this happens, it begins to raise doubts. Doubts and trouble about what's really the truth of what's in the womb. It removes doubts, on the other hand, for those who would approve of ending a life in the womb prematurely. It's meant to bring peace to doctors and mothers who go through abortions. And yet, is it really bringing peace? The prophet Jeremiah talks about this in Jeremiah chapter 6. He says, they have healed the wound of my people lightly. Meaning that they put a band-aid on the wound. They say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abominations? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. So what we're seeing and what we need to take note of is false prophets. 
Jeremiah's outlining false prophets who come with a message of peace, but it doesn't come from the Lord. They use language, they use rhetoric, they use evidence that would suggest to you that you should be at peace with where you're at. And the Lord says, I never sent them and I never spoke through them. It's a false peace. And if the peace doesn't come from God, it's not going to be peace in the end. Why did doubts arise in your heart? So there is an undeniable testimony of our maker when you use the language that he has given us in the womb, talking about a baby, talking about a heartbeat, and looking at ultrasounds. And the only way in the end around this difficulty in our hearts when we look at it is to avoid the subject altogether. Now, I don't really want to spend any more time on this. I felt that it needed to be addressed. And the point of all this is to return to our Lord. To return to our Lord and look at how our Lord loves us. How he loves that life that he created in the womb from the moment that the miracle happened. That he made that miracle possible. He made that miracle happen. And if anyone's ever lost a child prematurely, had a stillborn, the Lord loves that child. And the child is precious to the Lord and will always be. And if a mother loses a child, entrust that baby to the Lord forever and ever and know that he loves you and he loves your child. He loves it because he creates life. He creates bodies. He creates fingers and toes that wiggle and move. Our children are so precious to us that to lose a child is, can be devastating. It is devastating to any parent. And the Lord knows that. And he's furthermore just emphasizing the fact that he has made us to live eternally. He never made us to die. And death is so unsettling that it arises all this trouble and doubt in our hearts because it's so real. To lose someone you loved is so real. And the pain is so real that sometimes we will do whatever we can to try to escape it. The reason for that pain is significant. Jesus says, why did doubts arise in your hearts? The experience of that pain tells us how real God is, how real life is, how much life is meant to be the way that God created it to be from the beginning of time. And even Jesus felt it. In John chapter 11, when his friend Lazarus died, Jesus came to the tomb. He came late. Four days behind schedule, Lazarus had been dead. And everyone's mourning and crying and going through the grieving process. And when he comes and he sees what's happening, John says that he groans within himself and he is greatly troubled. Jesus. The word for groaning 
means the, almost a sense of anger about what has happened, a pain that leads Jesus to a righteous anger that this happened. And he sees the people kind of lost in their grief, and it's painful. He's groaning, and secondly, he's troubled. And the meaning of the word trouble there is the same word in our text. When he says to his disciples, why are you troubled? It's the word terrasso, which means a stirring or a swirling about a distressing feeling. Jesus was groaning and Jesus was troubled. So he knows that. He knows what that's like. But now he comes to his people in a new way. The risen Lord Jesus. And he says, why do you doubt? Because his resurrection has changed everything. Now we doubt things because we're used to human stuff. We're used to people letting us down. We're used to life letting us down. We're used to sin messing things up so they don't work out the way that we know they were supposed to work out. All of these things cause us doubt. They cause us trouble because we think, well, what could ever work out right? We focus on all this negative and we think, how could anything good ever work out in the end? This is just a hopeless life we're living. Doubts arise and they can take over us and overpower us to where we lose our hope altogether. Yes, Jesus groaned and we groan, but not without hope. The answer of the Christian faith is not to escape the reality of death or trouble or let down and hurt. It's not to fantasize it or spiritualize our lives into an escape. The goal of the Christian life is not to escape to heaven out of this world. There is an end goal of deliverance, but the goal of our lives right now is not to escape and get to heaven so we don't have to go through this anymore. No, the answer, and the answer is not to look at Jesus as just a spirit, which is what the disciples are thinking. He's just a spirit, and so the life is just this spiritual thing. And Christianity is all spirit. And we're just going to float up out of these bodies to a higher experience of God. And that's the goal. To get out of these bodies and get out of this experience and not deal with these broken, fallen bodies and people that are getting older and continuing to sin. But he says to find fulfillment right in the midst of it. He stands there, risen, and he shows them his hands, and he says, touch it. Touch the wounds. See that they're real. And then he says, let's have a dinner. And let's sit down to the table together, and let's eat a meal. Because right there in bodily presence, with his disciples, who are going to have to continue, by the way, through this troubled life with doubt and pain and suffering. He's glorified, but they're not. And he needs them to know that when they're gathered together in his name, no matter what, 
there is peace. There must be peace. When the church comes together, whether you're eating a meal with one of your friends in the congregation, whether you're visiting somebody who is going through trouble, whether you are coming to church to sit in the pews or you're at the potluck or you're in Sunday school asking questions, Jesus is there and he says there must be peace. That's not easy. Doubts arise in our hearts. Trouble gets in between us. But if we turn to him, his risen presence, he will bring us peace. He will work it out and he will grant you peace. He will bless you with his forgiveness. He will grant you his Holy Spirit. He will give you that ability to forgive when you don't think you can. He will do all those things that seem so impossible to us so that doubts arise in our hearts and we think there's just no good left in this life. Now, as I'm looking at the outcome of this Supreme Court situation, are there doubts in my heart? Yeah. It's over a month until the decision is actually going to get issued out. And am I going to see the same draft with the same conviction that's come out now, that's going to come out a month from now? Do I believe that all five of those justices are going to hold to their vote? I don't know. With human beings, you just never know what's going to happen. With politics, with our leadership, it's hard to trust the men and women who are leading us. But does that mean that there's no good left in this life? Even if it all came crashing down, even if we lost our whole country, is there no good left? Don't we still sense it? It's nonsense that there's no good in this life because we still sense it. We sense it in the sight of spring, in the sound of music, in the taste of broken bread and wine. Our senses sense it in the touch of a baby's hand. And even in the sound of their cries. Sam Wise, the great, once said, when Frodo wanted to completely give up on the mission, he said, we must believe that there is still good in the world and it's worth fighting for. It's worth fighting for. For 50 years, the pro-life movement has been fighting. And we don't know where this is going to lead, even if they overturn Roe, all that that does is return it back to the state's decision. It doesn't outlaw abortion. It returns the decision to the state. So a state like South Carolina could outlaw, which they already have, the bills that are moving through the courts right now. But North Carolina has the complete opposite. There are other fights as well. There are many fights. There are fights right in your own life. And Paul says that not all fights are bad. Fight the good fight, he says. The good fight of faith. So if you're in a marriage fight, don't fight the bad fights. Fight the good fights. 
If you're in a friendship, if you're in a church relationship, if you're in a workplace environment that's troubled, don't fight the bad fights, fight the good fights. And don't give up. Jesus is not giving up. He says that this world is still worth fighting for. Otherwise, he would have taken them us all to heaven and he would have returned by now. He says there's something still worth fighting for. God is still present, and the peace that surpasses all understanding is still going out to guard our hearts and minds. Jesus has risen. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) So I want you to do one last thing for me today, okay? And nobody here that's truly Lutheran to the core is going to like it. I want you to reach out and touch somebody next to you, okay? And I mean, shake their hand, put a hand on the shoulder of somebody in front of you, Uh, put your arm around a kid, hug your mom. You can get up. If you're not close enough, you can get up. Shake a hand. Because... This is what the risen Lord Jesus is all about. And this isn't that fake kind of the kiss of peace moment. This is truly, we really do know each other very well. And I'm really far away from anybody, so. Now, you did very well, by the way. I'm proud of you. Now, if you think about that, the person's hand you shook, the hug you had, the hand on the shoulder, is that worth fighting for? Is there a peace to be found in that? It's not always easy living with people. But don't give up. Jesus says, why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet. Touch my hands and my feet. And don't be unbelieving, but believing. Don't lose hope, but hope. And he ate a meal with them. And he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Amen.